Now, now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. Click, click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slam and Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're actually recording this on Friday, June 10th, but this will come out on Saturday. So we have not seen what happens in game four of the NBA Finals. You can tune into the Daily Ding if you want more finals coverage. But today, we are talking more off season based stuff. We're going to talk about trades and free agency and the NBA draft. With me, as always, is my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And I've got Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. He's also the host of the Please Don't Aggregate This Podcast podcast and the author of the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, what's up, man? How you guys doing? Thanks for that kind, kind, kind introduction. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. So let's start with Utah. The first domino fell in what looks like a dramatic summer for the Jazz when Coach Quinn Snyder stepped down earlier this week. Attention immediately turned to the Jazz's two stars, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So first, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Mitchell was, quote, surprised and disappointed by the news of Snyder's departure. Uh, How is that report being interpreted around the league? Uh, Is this being viewed as Mitchell exerting his influence in the Jazz's head coaching search, or is this Mitchell laying the groundwork for a potential trade? So around the league, not a potential trade immediately, but people are definitely thinking that or interpreting, perceiving that development as Donovan and his people laying the framework for a potential request if the head coaching decision doesn't go the way that, you know, they theoretically would want it to go. Um So, I mean, they're obviously requesting permission to interview candidate after candidate after candidate here. A lot of people, the skeptics around the league are are looking at that as saying, well, you know, Johnny Bryant, the Knicks associate head coach, is considered to be the clear favorite due to his relationship with Donovan Mitchell. Um, You know, Cynics originally said that the Knicks hired him to New York, um, you know, to help lure Donovan Mitchell. Um, So, you know. It's, it's definitely going to be um, an undercurrent throughout the Knicks – or, excuse me, the Jazz's coaching search, that the future of Donovan, how much that next replacement could impact that. So the Jazz haven't shown any willingness to engage in trade discussions around Mitchell, but they are willing to discuss Rudy Gobert. So he's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, but he's also turning 30 this summer. He does have four years, close to $170 million left on his deal – how robust do you feel like the trade market is for Gobert? And do you think there are any deals out there that would actually allow Utah to remain competitive in the Western Conference? The only three teams I've heard so far that have had legitimate interest in acquiring him um, are Chicago, Toronto, and Atlanta. There could definitely be more to come. I mean, we're, all, we're recording this on June 10th. I know you said good morning. Uh, this is a Saturday show. Um, but uh, um you know, still basically just about two weeks left until the draft. We still got free agency and, and the whole offseason will continue. Um, so, um, you know, there, there, there could be plenty of more teams to emerge. But for now, you know, out, out of those three teams, I think Atlanta is probably the most intriguing in terms of a team that could provide something of, of real value to keep the Jazz in, in a deep postseason type of contention where, if there's a framework, and I'm not saying these frameworks have been discussed, but to me, you know, think about it logically. If the Hawks are interested in Rudy Gobert, 
don't think they'd want to be paying like $50 million combined to Clint Capella and Rudy Gobert. I would imagine Capella would be the name going out the door. Um, So if you can add Clint Capella with, you know, one or two other guys, you know, if it's John Collins or Kevin Herter or Bogdanovich, um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe we have a a double Bogdanovich pairing in Utah. Um, You know, you can turn Rudy into two or three pieces. I think that's, something that could at least keep the jazz in the stratosphere that they're in right now. So moving on to Deandre Ayton, uh, John Hollinger reported this week that while he was skeptical at first, he now thinks quote, it's more likely than not that Ayton is in a new destination next season. Now that would require Phoenix either letting Ayton walk in restricted free agency or completing a sign and trade, which is complicated by rules like base year compensation as detailed on the Timeline podcast, a great Phoenix Suns podcast, the history of sign-and-trade deals suggests the return wouldn't be awesome for Phoenix. Do you think there are workable sign-and-trade deals for Aiton out there that make sense for Phoenix? Or is it more likely that Phoenix just signs Aiton and then trades him in the season? Yeah, if DeAndre Aiton walks out the door, I fully expect it will happen via sign-and-trade. No one I've spoken to in the NBA expects the Suns to just let him walk for nothing. So... Um, you know, Detroit with Jeremy Grant is probably the one that has been theorized and talked about the most amongst people I've, I've had conversations with. And uh, I, I do think his number kind of slides in to the, the, the BYC um, rate if Aiton's getting like that $30 million. Um, I mean, I, this is, we're doing mental math. And I'm not a cap expert, um, yeah. but Jeremy's contract's around 20. I, I think that, I think that math works. Um, and you know, someone I spoke to this week about, you know, checking in on Jeremy Grant, uh, potential destinations. He mentioned that his outcome might be very tied to what DeAndre Ayton does. Um, you know, Toronto, I, I I've been saying, I, I, you know, I first wrote OG Anunoby and Raptors fans have just been coming for my throat ever since that on Twitter. Um, Shocking. I just deleted my notifications tab on, on TweetDeck today. <laughs> I can't deal with it anymore. Um, so I don't want to say too, too much about the, theater, the theoretical idea of OG Anunoby going out the door. But, I mean, there's a ton of uh, a ton of combinations from Toronto that would, in theory, work. But you know, I don't think Pascal Siakam was someone that the Raptors would want to give up to go get DeAndre in. Um, I don't think... Uh, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet makes a lot of sense in Phoenix, right? And so, like, you got to give up something if you want to go get a starting caliber yeah. player making that much money. Um, sorry, I'm getting a bunch of calls here and just silencing all of them. Um, okay. So, you know, those are kind of the two situations that I think do make the most sense on paper if Aiton does leave via, free, via sign and trade. Um, but that's also the complicated thing about forecasting this market, right? Like Toronto is going to potentially be a player for Aiton um, or Rudy Gobert or other centers. Like there, there's the only, mm-hmm. just like at the trade deadline where there's buyers and sellers and there's only so many landing spots, like there will be a bunch of teams interested in big men. There'll be a bunch of teams interested in guards. But once these dominoes start to fall and, and players are off the board and destinations are off the board, uh, the market starts to shrink and potential opportunities for, Aiton will be impacted by potential opportunities for Rudy Gobert. So it will be interesting to see how all those scenarios end up kind of eating each other up. Do you, do you agree with Hollinger that it's more likely than not that Aiton's not in a Suns uniform next year? I'm working under that assumption. Yeah. I just I mean, look at, I'm, I'm really been comparing it to John Collins in Atlanta where John Collins's contract negotiation is early bird deal. Um, it was two years, two years ago now, two, two, two summers where, he, him and the Hawks are very far apart. All of a sudden, the Hawks have a great year. They go to the conference finals. He gets a 5-125 payday that he really wanted. Then last year's, you know, not a great season. And his name is – he's honestly probably the name. Maybe I'm jumping ahead of your agenda, but he's honestly the name that I'm working on the assumption is, like, the most likely trade candidate of all of these guys based off of what I'm hearing. Um, and that all started with the fact, dating back to his early bird extension talks, that they were very far apart. And his representatives were even pushing Atlanta to explore trade conversations then. So if you spin it to the Aiton situation, like they did not think he was worth the max. He wants to be, you know, a max player. That's not going to change. So I think, unfortunately for that marriage, it, it does seem like that's trending, you know, in the wrong direction. Yeah. And then is Atlanta another team for Aiton or are they just interested in Gobert? Um, Atlanta is definitely another team that I've heard for Aiton. Yeah. I and mean, they're, they're, 
there's one person I talk to pretty consistently who's like convinced Aiton is the guy that um, Atlanta wants, but also, you know, like I said before, like all these, you know, door number one, door number two, door number three, player number one, player number two, player number three, they can kind of all shift depending on what happens. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks ago, you wrote an article about OG Ananobi and his potential dissatisfaction with his role in Toronto. You noted, though, that perhaps the conversation around him has been more driven by external interests. Trading for OG obviously makes sense from the perspective of a team like Portland, but are there any other indications that Toronto has any interest in moving OG? Because as you wrote in February, the Raptors were telling teams that he was untouchable. Yeah, I don't think they have interest in moving him, but there's definitely been a change of tune in Toronto that like they're listening on calls and, and engaging on calls. And I know Raptors fans will say, Oh, Masai listens on everybody. And that's just not true. There's a lot of players in the league that uh, teams do not listen on and they immediately hang up. And like they were telling people at the deadline, we are not willing to discuss these six players. And that has changed now. So to me, hmm. as someone who kind of tries to operate as um, the third, the 31st front office in the league, uh, maybe it'll be 33 uh, come uh, 2025 when the bronze new Vegas team comes out. Um, but to me, that's like an interesting data point. Like if I was a front office and I was under that, that uh, and I was under that understanding that all of a sudden Toronto is now willing to talk about him, I'm giving Toronto a call to check on it. Um, so to me, that's like a very tangible change. It is, but I don't think they want to move him by any stretch. It's just, look, they've got a log jam now uh, of talent being that they are trending in the right direction. They have Scotty Barnes taking, you know, a, a dramatic different uh, scope of where that franchise's trajectory is headed. Scotty kind of plays a similar position to OG. Pascal's become, you know, more and more of a ball handler. Fred Van Vliet um, has always been someone who runs, you know, a lot, a lot of their offense. So it only makes sense that he is trying to at least consider he being OG potential opportunities elsewhere um, to, to set him up for a bigger contract. Cause if you're playing as the fourth or fifth guy on, you know, uh, a four or five seed in the East, let's say that's, that's like probably what I think anyone's realistic expectation of what, um, uh, of what Toronto's projecting next season. Like, yeah, I, I think all these players have delu- not delusions, but illusions of grandeur, right. Where like, hmm. um, they want to get paid. They want to see themselves maximized and optimized before their short window of their career is over. So, so with okay. with OG, like Portland's like an easy line to draw just because there's, they're a team that's trying to get better. They've got the seventh pick. They've got assets. But are there any other teams that have shown interest in him that you know of? Yeah, well, the reason why I wrote that story two weeks ago, whatever it was, is because he's definitely come up in the conversations that Toronto has had with Utah about Rudy Gobert. So um, I don't know if that's a, a deal that's going to make more progress or traction, but the conversation at least has been had. So there's been varying levels of intrigue around four all-star guards who all have the ability to be free agents this summer. Zach Levine, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, and James Harden. Mm-hmm. Is your expectation that all four of these guards will end up back with their original teams for next season? Is there one that seems more likely to uh, to explore his options than others? Beal seems to be the most uh, secure, I would say, um, which is kind of interesting because he's been the one that everyone has that is yeah pinpointing everywhere else i mean harden i i don't want to say too too much because i'm still working to confirm some details um i fully expect him to be back in philly too but that door i i want to be careful what i say i i think the the pathway to figuring out his contract situation is probably the most convoluted with Kyrie in brooklyn i just don't see many options for him outside of Brooklyn where, you know, it's not like, I don't think teams are going to be lining up to necessarily give Kyrie, you know, the money that he's looking for. Um, And, you know, obviously the influence that he said out loud publicly on the record after, you know, they're they're sweet by the hands of Boston that he's looking for, um, you know, within a franchise. So, and everyone I've talked to in Brooklyn is, is, fully expecting those three guys, Ben, KD and Kyrie all to come back. Zach Levine, I think he's definitely entertaining the idea of going elsewhere, but his people have, have certainly said that uh, um, his people have certainly said that, uh, you know, they, they expect him to still head back. Um, who's the other uh, Beal? Oh, you, you hit them all. 
Get them all. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of, I, yes, I am expecting them all to, to stay back. Um, but I think the door is more open for probably Zach than anybody else, even though I'm still thinking that he's sticking around in Chicago. Oh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm very interested if, if you end up do having a piece about James Harden, just because I feel like that contract <laughs> situation, there's so many angles to it that I just, I, I feel like it could go so many different ways. So I'm, I'm excited. Like just the fact that he has the option to just opt in for next year, you could just stay there another year and figure it out later. And then you have the Daryl Morey connection. Like there's just so much there. It's a very, very juicy situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the draft, there's a, a cliche said every year that the draft starts here <laughs> and this year the draft appears to start at four with the sacramento kings uh there have been rumors of the king of the kings moving up staying put moving back and adding another vet uh, what's your read on the value of that fourth pick and what do you think is the most likely scenario for the kings on draft night i mean the kings are going to probably entertain calls on that pick until they're on the clock i i think i don't believe they'll make a deal until they're on the board and the clock is ticking and they actually know what happened at one through three because everyone is operating under the assumption that it's going Jabari, Chet, Palo in some order, but that could change, right? And if one of those three guys is there at four, all of a sudden the interest I think the Kings will have in that pick is, you know, far more vast. Um, I could be wrong. They could they could decide to move, you know, Tuesday before the draft on Thursday. That they, they, they made that move for Demontis Simonis pretty early, you know, in, in the, the grand scheme of things and the, the trade deadline window in February, but most people I've talked to fully expect them to, to wait. Um, but I'm also, I'm a bit skeptical. They'll find a trade that makes sense for them. Cause if you look down at the rest of the lottery for teams that would in theory want to trade up, I don't see too many teams that um, have actual pieces that can help the Kings advance to the postseason, which is why they would in theory, why they are, considering trade options at the fourth pick, like the thunder theoretically moving up is Kenrich Williams, you know, like <laughs> <Right>. actually <laughs> that's really going to help move the needle in Sacramento. No yeah, shots at no. Kenrich Williams. I no. think he's a really, really great player, but I, I just, I don't see that. I mean, Portland's trying to trade out their own uh, capacity at seven. Um, you know, this, the Pacers at six is like a popular idea, but like they just made a deal with the Kings. Like, are they sending other pieces like something buddy healed back to sack you know what i'm saying like it's just, <laughs> there's not a lot of options on the yeah. we never saw like paul george going to okc right so there's always going to yeah. be opportunities but at this point i'm prepared for the kings to be able to stay just to ha- not have to but to decide to stay put and take someone like keegan murray at four um because there just might not be that home run deal last year it was the same thing where the Warriors were looking and looking and looking to trade to try to find, you know, someone that would help boost their title run that they're on right now. And this, the deal never materialized. So I think that could very well happen here too. It's been so interesting because with Portland at number seven, we've heard a ton of names like OG has been thrown out. Uh, John Collins, DeAndre Ayton. We've also heard about the Kings being willing to move at number four, but there hasn't really been a name attached to that pick in any way like what a hypothetical deal would look like should we just yeah. assume that those same names that are out there for portland would be names that the sacramento would be interested in at four um i mean those names are all in theory somewhat available yeah but i think the reason why the names are coming up in portland is that there's an idea in the nba ecosystem let's say that damian lillard is providing a list of players that he would like portland to go get Mm, um, okay. And in Sacramento, I think it's just the Kings front office is trying to rack their brains and, uh, you know, uh, compute different possible outcomes and, and try to figure out what what option with the number four pick, whether taking a player, whether trading that player, where they go buy, you know, someone with like you know, adding pieces with the fourth pick or just selling off the fourth pick is ultimately their end goal of all their calculus is to make the postseason. Um but the Portland's end goal of it all is to make the postseason around Damian Lillard. So that's kind of the big yeah. difference. So, and and we talked about Sacramento, we talked about Portland. Are there any other teams that might be open to moving their pick in a win-now move, or is it mostly the attention has been focused on those two teams? I think the Pelicans would certainly listen. Um, obviously, they just made the eight seed. And I, think, I mean, it'd be nice to have a very solid um, contributor on a rookie-scale deal to help 
as they're going to have to pay, you know, Zion upcoming here, Brandon Ingram already signed a big massive deal. Um, you know, there'll be more money to come being spent as the team continues to get better. Um, but I do think they'd be open to listening. Um, Spurs, I think would be a team being that they just have so many picks that, you know, could they move up to four, you know, in theory, like, I guess, but like, again, like what, what veteran really do they have to kind of make that type of deal work? I, I think to trade out, um, I could see the Knicks at 11 if they don't see a piece that they really want. Um, but I, I haven't heard that. Um, and I saw, I saw Mark Stein tweeted or, or uh, wrote in his Substack today. Um, that the Wizards are listening at 10 too. It just, what's interesting is that no one really knows how the draft is going to unfold outside of it. There's a kind of like a top five, honestly, with um, the big three guys and then Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey. Shaden Sharp's kind of like loosely there as like the proverbial top six. But those five guys, pe- people are pretty convinced are going in the top five in some order. But after that, like six through 10, six through, you know, 40, you can honestly go in any different scenario. So I'm sure that in a situation where a player is on the board at 10 or, you know, you're on the board at 10 or, you know, 11 or 12 um, where you, you weren't expecting your guy to be gone and another team wasn't expecting some guy to be there, there could be some synergy to make a deal happen. But that general uncertainty, I think will leave a lot of teams open to at least talking and discussing their pick until they're finally on the clock. So there's several teams with multiple first rounders in this draft, Oklahoma city, Memphis, San Antonio, Charlotte, Houston. Are there any teams that you think are being aggressive and trying to improve their draft position? The only team I've consistently heard is going to make an effort to move up is OKC. Um, I know I went on a thunder podcast and said that um, they've been linked to Jeremy Sochan and then, you know, Thunder fans said I said they want to trade up for Jeremy Sochan. That's not what I said. I said there, there's a rumor going around the combine week that they want to trade up for him, which also I said on the show was that makes me think they don't want to trade up for him and that it's somebody else. Because last year we were just hearing James Booknight, James Booknight, James Booknight, and the Thunder did not yep. James Booknight, right? Um, so... I don't have a strong sense of who the target is. Maybe it is Sochan. I don't know, but they're the ones that are the most consistently uh, talked about, let's say about a team that has designs on moving up. Yeah. It will be interesting to see who, if they're able to, like what pick do you think is most available? We talked about Portland, but they want, they want a player. Is there a team that would take multiple picks to move back like how do they how do they make this work how do they get what they want because obviously there's somebody that they want they want to make sure he's there like who like who would be willing to move back for 12 and a future pick or 12 and 30 and 34 like who what what team would be willing well i'm curious to see if you know portland for example they were in on jeremy grant at the deadline Mm -hmm. didn't happen he's still a name that they're being linked to when they lost the pelicans pick as the pelicans made the playoffs Huge loss yep. to the Blazers. They don't have two first now to go send to somebody. So just moving down again, I'm just spitballing here. Just moving down from seven to twelve, but getting an extra future first or so. Does that give Portland the ammo to then flip those extra picks from OKC to go out and buy talent? That's something that I think is very in the realm of possibility. I don't know if it's been discussed, but that's that's a type of thing. Like, will someone trade down with the Thunder to collect? more future draft capital to then use that draft capital to in a trade now that is something i think i'm kind of my antenna is up for i haven't heard it happening or being discussed but to answer your question that's kind of a scenario i could see unfolding so right now uh teams are bringing in prospects and for workouts and interviews are there any prospects whose draft stock is changing one way or the other after workouts or interviews like guys shooting up draft boards one, I mean, this guy isn't like a top 20 pick, but one name that's definitely worked out really, really well and had a great combine showing is Andrew Namhard from Gonzaga. Um, I mm-hmm. keep hearing people talk about him. Um, people really like uh, the Santa Clara kid. Is it Jalen Williams? Is that Jaylen his name? Jalen? Yeah. Um, I'm honestly like so bad. I used to be watch. I used to watch so much college right? and I used to know all these prospects like top to bottom. And now I'm getting caught up on all the names. Um and I, I call like assistant coaches friends who are in the draft workout to try to hear like the names that are popping up the most. Um, that was, but I also I mean, the top prospects are starting to work out this week. 
Um, so th- those names were, were really in like the early June, late May um, stuff. So I'm sure I'll get some different names now as I start to make more calls here in the next two weeks or so. So you mentioned earlier that it's going to be Jabari, Chet, and Paolo most likely in that top three. Are you hearing that order as like the order that those teams will pick? And is there any is there any chance that one of those three teams moves out of that particular draft position, either to move up or to move back? Uh, most likely they're all going to make a pick somewhere, but are you yeah. hearing any chatter about that? Haven't heard any chatter about someone moving down. Um, everyone is expecting it to go in, the, in that one, two, three so far. It could change. Um, there's definitely, I'm not going to say anything at all specific, but there's definitely a thing I've heard of late that is making me a bit skeptical. It is going to go that one, two, three. But um, at this point, I would think the safest, safest, safest money is, is Jabari going one, um, just being that Orlando really can't mess up this pick. Um, it's just, yeah, they're, they're, they, they're in this rebuild got a lot of young prospects, but they don't have the guy. So they're going to think long and hard, I think, about trying to take the guy that has like the, the, the most clear trajectory to being that guy. To me and to a lot of people on the NBA, it's Jabari. Um, and he's kind of been the, the closest thing to a near consensus top prospect all along. Um, you know, Palo, I think, though, is someone who could, in theory – be that you know safest pick, but I've also been told that he and his people are not prepared for him to even be in consideration for one. Most people around the league are under the impression that Orlando is just choosing between those two guys. So hmm. that's kind of the safest bet amongst those three who's not going one, I would think. Mm-hmm. And is is there any I mean, Jaden Ivey is the one that people think could be a guy that could jump into that top three. Are you hearing yeah. any other names, or are you even hearing that? Yeah, people talk about, oh, the Thunder might take Ivy at two. You know, it's definitely – he's someone that a lot of people have, like, number one on their board just based off of the athleticism and the upside in theory. I mean, I, I love Javon Ivey back at Purdue um, when they were making their NCAA tournament run when he was a freshman. And I remember telling someone, a scout friend, like, this guy's going to be a top five pick next year. And they were like, no, he's not that good. And then all of a sudden, here he is. Um, people are really excited about him and, and what he could potentially become. Um, so if there's one guy to crack into that top three, that's um, not those three bigs, I think it would be Ivy, yes. Yeah. And then have you had any reads on Shaden Sharp? Like he's the mystery yeah. guy of this draft. No one really knows what to do with him or I've seen him as like low as 12. I've seen him as high as like four or five. Yeah. You have any feel for what is going to happen with him at this point in time. And again, all this stuff changes throughout. Like I literally take these notes down and I, I, I'm talking out loud with some people that are my close confidants that we're trying to crack the draft together. And, um, you know, right now at this juncture, he's the guy that I'm pinning as the most likely top, you know, quote unquote name to fall. Um, Cause you know, if let's say in that scenario where the Kings don't, don't trade out, they take Keegan Murray at four. I think Detroit would probably be very happy taking Ivy five being that they've been linked to looking at guards to pair with Kate Cunningham at six, you know, are the Pacers really going to take kind of a gamble at a guard spot when they already have Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte there? I'm not so sure. They've been, you know, pretty mentioned at wanting to find a power forward. So I don't know if that's necessarily the gamble they'd want to take. At seven, you know, with the, with the Blazers trade scenario, like it's completely up for grabs. Is, is someone trading up with them at seven to go get him? You know, maybe, but if that's not the case, I doubt he would be the project that I doubt he'd be a project that like um, the Pelicans have wanted eight. You know, at nine, I've kind of heard from people picking below the Spurs. I think the Spurs are going to go center. So, you know, is he there at 10? Like, I, I do think that's a realistic scenario. He also could go for like it's it's definitely, yeah. you know, he's a, he is that man of mystery in this draft for sure. But I, I am kind of, you know, being prepared for him to, to fall a little bit. Jake, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go follow Jake at Jake L. Fisher on Twitter. Uh, go pick up his book, uh, How the NBA's Tanking Era Change the League. It's called Built to Lose. Thank you so much, Jake, for coming on the show. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromatic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right, Al, we are back from our break. And with us, we have Brendan Nunez who you can hear on the King's Pulse podcast and the King's Beat podcast. You can also read him at the King's Herald and the Sacramento Bee. Brendan, what's up, man? Not too much, guys. Uh, appreciate the invite, and I'm glad to be joining you. Yeah, we're glad you're here, man. Uh, Kings are always interesting, and even more interesting that they have jumped up in the draft. The Kings have the fourth pick in this month's draft. Most mocks have the three bigs going, one, two, three, in some order, leaving the Kings with an interesting choice. Popular opinion is that Jaden Ivey would be the next best available, but there are concerns about his fit in Sacramento. Uh, For a team that appears to be in win-now mode, what do you think about Ivey's fit in Sacramento, and would you pass on him for any other prospects that you think might fit better? Yeah, I don't think his fit is great. I also don't think it's bad. Um, you know, Fox and Tyrese is going to get pointed to a lot in this process, and they had their bumps and I guess like growing pains that they were going through. I think particularly Fox getting used to just playing with another ball dominant guy and not having the ball in his hands every at the beginning of every single pe- possession and being the guy initiating. He's better at that, but I think he just needed to learn to play off ball a little bit more, and we saw that progress a bit. Um, so while there were still growing pains, I think that like Fox and Tyrese would have worked. And I think Fox and Ivy would work fine on the offensive end as well. Um, Ivy played alongside another guard all year at Purdue. Um, you know, I, I know that he is probably most ideal as the one initiating and, and being able to use that athleticism and create space. Um, I, I do think that he needs some growth as a passer. I think the only real concern for me, less of taking the ball out of either guy's hand on the offensive end is just the shooting. Like, I think that Ivy showed a lot as a shooter, a lot of improvement. Um, He's certainly confident from beyond the arc. And I I think that he's capable enough that I don't really have concerns there. I think that De'Aaron Fox is better than the percentage that we saw from him last year. And I am sure that he knows he needs to get better as a three-point shooter to reach his eventual highest percentile outcome. So I think offensively, those guys work fine together. I think defensively is probably where you reach some question marks. And this is the same issue that was there with with Halliburton and Fox is just where's your perimeter containment. And I think the difference is like, I don't know how Tyrese was ever going to be really good at containing on the perimeter with his lack of size, even though he's a really good off ball defender. I think that Fox has had his moments being a good perimeter defender. And I think that Ivy had moments as well. I actually think Ivy and Fox are really similar defensively. They have... Um, all the athletic tools to be good defenders, but it's just about giving maximum effort and, and full engagement on that end. And I think that with so many different offensive creators, they could put a little bit more effort into the defensive end. And obviously new head coach, Mike Brown is somebody that's going to preach defense a lot to these guys. So um, I, I don't think that it's a phenomenal fit or anything like that. I, I think that Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith Jr. are like practically perfect fits, but those are dreams at four unless Sacramento's talking about trading up and, I just don't see how an organization like the Sacramento Kings, the draft is the only time that you're really able to get a star. Even if you want to point at Sabonis, he was acquired because they nailed their number 12 pick in Halliburton. Like the draft is the only way these small markets in my mind are really able to get a star. And so I I don't think that they can overlook somebody that has in my mind, star potential at number four for the sake of a little bit better fit in like a King at Murray. So I do think that Ivy is, um, the clear guy at number four, if the three bigs and forwards kind of go in the predicted one, two, three, that to me, Ivy's just too talented compared to the rest of the group to overlook. You've been doing in-depth profiles of prospects on your podcast, King's Pulse. Uh, if the Kings don't take Ivy at four, who's your second choice? Yeah, um, I think second choice for me is probably trying to 
trade down and get a little bit okay. more with Keegan Murray um, because I, I really do think that it is that top four. I, I do think that Ivy is sitting at four. Um, maybe Keegan goes five to Detroit. There's been a lot of talk about that potential, right? And, and who knows if Detroit would actually give up anything to move up one spot. Like that doesn't seem the most realistic to me. Um, so I guess it's Keegan Murray because I do think that he is a really good fit for the Kings. He almost reminds me of a Harrison Barnes and the Kings really do just need sure. starter caliber players. Like um, last year, they're starting either Marvin Bagley or Chemezi Metsu or Mo Harkless, Trey Lyles. Like they really don't have another starting forward outside of Harrison Barnes. They really don't have rotation level forwards. So uh, while I don't think Keegan Murray has star potential, I do think that he's going to be a good starter in the league for a long time. And, and the Kings need a lot of those. So I could see how they they'd value Keegan a lot. I think if the Kings were sitting at five, I'd be pushing Keegan. So I guess it's fine. Yeah. So the Kings just hired Mike Brown. They signed him to a four-year deal. But Monty McNair, the GM, who played a significant role in his hiring, he's entering the final season of his contract with the Kings. And according to Sam Amick, there have been no talks of an extension. How much do you worry about that pressure to make the playoffs influencing his draft decision? Like, can he even have someone like Shaden Sharp? on his board, given the circumstances around this upcoming season? Yeah, that's the uh, never-ending question in Sacramento. I think even outside of a GM's contract situation, which that does obviously add a layer of complication, but I think it's already well known that even if he had additional years, the ownership group is looking to turn this thing around as soon as possible. Like I think it was a Mark Stein reporting that said they want to have a Minnesota-like turnaround going into next season. Um, and this is why, like, I've loved Chet Holmgren and the idea of trading up to get Chet Holmgren. Um, but what's his impact going to be like in year one? In my mind, that shouldn't matter that much when you're talking upside in the top of the draft. But I think the Kings are in a position where it does matter. And, and I do think that Monty McNair and, and Wes Wilcox, like their contract situation factors into it. Um, I don't think that they've I, I would imagine that, say, they did like Shaden Sharp, but they thought that his production in the first two seasons wasn't going to be great. I don't know that they'd be willing to do that. Um, I think they are in a situation where they are forced to make it happen as soon as possible. They, they need to see some significant improvement next year. Um, and, and maybe that doesn't mean, you know, mortgaging the entire future for next season or anything like that, but there needs to be at very least a playing game when it comes to Sacramento next season. And there's a good chance that, you know, Mike Brown being there the entire year compared to 17 games of Walton and then the latter for, Alvin Gentry last year, and you get 60 plus games of Fox and Sabonis when last year you were dealing with all the drama that surrounded Buddy and Bagley and those guys not being wanting to be there. And then Sabonis coming at the end of the season and they traded six guys at the deadline. So I think even without a significant contribution from their draft pick in year one, that there should be an improvement based on what we saw last year. Um, So, you know, the Kings are kind of in a spot where they want to turn around as quick as possible and are probably looking to fast track it. I don't agree with that, but I think that's kind of what history leads us to believe. And I don't know why it'd be any different, especially with one, only one year remaining for these GMs. Right. Yeah. A- another option was brought up by Kevin O'Connor at the ringer who reported this week that Sacramento might be willing to move down in the draft. If they could pick up a player that better fits their timeline in a deal. Are there any potential names that Kings fans have come up with that would make this type of deal worth it for the Kings? It's tough. Um, you know, if if Detroit does like Jaden Ivey or, or one of the forwards that goes to four, could you get Sadiq Bay? Probably not in my mind, but maybe. Um, have heard Malcolm Brogdon in six, which I don't particularly love. Um, I, I think you just take the the star at four of her Duarte. I think Vecini pitched Duarte in six for four. He said he wouldn't do it if from Sacramento's point of view, I wouldn't either. Um, the other one that stands out is they were linked to Kuzma before they almost traded for Kuzma with that whole buddy heel deal that fell true, yeah. fell through. So is there Kuzma in 10? Maybe they need a four. Um, it's intriguing. Again, I would just stay at four if I was the Kings, but it doesn't seem like they really like the Jaden Ivy fit. Um, so those are ones that stand out to me. And then if you go a little bit further, like, uh, John Collins all the way down to 16, you know, um, that's intriguing to me, but those are the, those are the ones that kind of stand out to me and all of them 
I could justify to myself as being okay because I understand that they feel a need to turn it around yeah. quicker. But the fact that I'm even saying it that way clearly <laughs> means I'd rather just take the guy at four. Right. God, right. Kuzma in 10 just feels so Kings, doesn't it? Like yeah. that just, if you were to have like, if a trade had a feeling, the feeling would be Kings on that one. Yeah, that Absolutely. Be- and yeah. he, I mean, he he was good last year. Like he was good last really year. Good. Like he was legitimately good. People didn't understand how good he played for the Wizards last year. But, but at the same but time, still, you you, tr- <laughs> you you get lucky and get up to four, and you're like, awesome. We're gonna turn it to Cal Kuzma. <laughs> yeah, just feel and it, and it might help them get to the play in. It ha- it might help them get you know ultimately to where they want to go. But on draft night, it would just be like. In the oh, in the no, issue Kings. is where do you want to go? You know, like. This is the issue to me is like the goal. I understand the goal for next season and for one season being the play in. That's fine. Yeah. But you have to make sure you're not building a roster that has no chance of ever getting out of the first round. Right. And I I don't know that I view Fox and Sabonis as like, I think they can be really, really good. I also do have a lot of questions about that fit. Like, I think that both of them have been subpar defenders, average defenders, maybe at best. And they have potential to be better, but it's just potential right now. And then offensively, neither of those guys shoot. Um, so you're really forcing yourself to get the rest of the surrounding rosters be very specifically. They all have to be plus defenders and they all have to be plus shooters, which I know is more and more common in today's NBA. But it's like you also, in my mind, do kind of need top end talent. And I think it's a mistake if they're so focused on the play in that there's not another bigger goal of eventually getting beyond that. Yeah. So the draft obviously is the focus right now, but the Kings also have a lot of work to do this offseason, just building a team around Fox and Sabonis. One of the knocks on Sabonis is that as good as he is, he's a difficult player to build around. What kind of skills would you look for in a front court sidekick with him? And are there any players out there, either in trade or free agency, that you'd like the Kings to target for that role? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Miles Turner? Can I say that one? Uh, <laughs> I, I do think that, uh, just a joke, but I, I do think that that's kind of, ideally you're hoping for a guy that's a really good shooter and also a rim protector as a four. Yeah. Um, I do think you want yeah. Simonis playing the five is the idea, especially if you're looking for a high-paced offense. Like It seems that Sacramento probably would stick with, even with Mike Brown coming in, in my mind. Um, so he stands out to me. I mean, uh, I know it's not the most realistic, but there have been whispers of trading up to two. Um, and I think oh, that Chet, Chet Holmgren is a yeah. dream, a dream fit, a guy that shoots like he does and the rim protection that he offers. Um, and let's talk, let's talk through it because we're, we're OKC guys. Yeah. And, um, we cover the team. So let's talk through like what the framework of a deal that makes sense for both teams could actually look like between the Kings and the Thunder. Because I think some things have been thrown around on both sides where it's like, well, that's unreasonable, you know, is kind of the thought of both fan bases. So, like, what what have you heard that see, like, seems the most reasonable for them to, like, actually make that happen? I kind of think of the Fulton Tatum swap and then the Luca and Trey swap. And mm-hmm. to me, it's kind of next year's first. Like, what would you guys think if, from OKC's point of view, if Sacramento called and offered the fourth overall pick? And they're 2023 top four protected. And then it goes into unprotected the year after for number two. It, it, I mean, it'd be t- it's tough to, for us to say anything because we're like so Chet brain right now. Like we've been <laughs> Me about too. Chet for like <laughs> two months. Um, but obviously we've heard the rumors everyone else has heard that like maybe OKC is interested in Jay Nivey. And we've been having draft guys on kind of talking us through that potential fit. So like, from our perspective, it's like, well, if Presti really believed that Jaden Ivey was the guy, at some point you just got to trust him. And then if he's making that deal, like, why, like, why wouldn't you feel good about it at the end of the day? Like, it's going to be hard for Presti to make a deal that we won't feel good about because he obviously is working with way more information than we are. I do think yeah. the protections is where, like, I almost think it would have to be like top two. Or something. I was gonna say top one protected, just in case like the Kings get the number one pick in like this insane draft where they're just trying to protect themselves, you know, in case something crazy happened. Um I that's that's I mean that to me that would be more reasonable just because it does feel like the difference between Chet 
and Ivy feels pretty significant to me. Me too. Um, and so to me, it would have to be like next year's like top one protected pick and then becomes unprotected if they get Wembenyama, you know, in the next which, year. Which you wouldn't care about at that point because you have Victor Wembenyama. You'd be right. you're, fine. You have Victor <laughs> Wembenyama and Chet in that scenario. You're the it's craziest front line in the world. Yeah, uh, all the length you could ever need. So Davion Mitchell had an up and down rookie season, but he really turned it on near the end. He averaged 10 assists per game in his final 10 games. He also scored 20 plus points in six of those games. For people who understandably might not have been watching the Kings in March and April, what can you tell us about his development over his rookie season? Yeah, you know, Davion is interesting. Davion's obviously his work ethic is talked about all the time, and it was a little bit frustrating this year to ask any sort of question about Davion because you constantly got a response of, I don't care that he's struggling. He works his butt off. He's going to figure it out. And it's like, okay, great. He's also shooting horribly from the free throw line. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, Davion did have a lot of progress. I think he got a lot more comfortable. He looked the most comfortable when he, I guess, ironically had the ball in his hands a lot. When one of Fox or Tyrese was out, when Tyrese eventually got traded and Fox went down, Davion had a great end to the season. He also was getting up more shots than I think is reasonable for him to expect on a healthy roster. Him and Damian Jones are just running pick and roll over and over. And if both of their numbers were phenomenal to close out the season, I don't know that it's a great representation of what Davion is as a player moving forward. Um, He's a hard one to evaluate in my mind um, because the idea is this ridiculous work ethic, but the reality is that he really didn't shoot the ball very well last year. Um, 31% from three, and he kind of had an up and down year, only 65% from the line, and he's not barely getting there more than once a game. Um, his passing wasn't overly impressive. I don't think he makes very many bad passes, but I don't think he's somebody that, in my mind, makes impressive reads um, that are beyond anything, kind of just um, the first read that he's seeing. So limits a little bit in my mind what I view right now as his ceiling. Um I personally think that Davion is a really good backup point guard. And that's kind of what I would project him moving forward, which I think um, I catch myself not liking Davion maybe as much as a lot of the fan base and other people that cover the team. And it almost makes me feel like I'm just like talking bad about him all the time because so many people believe in him so much, but I just haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I think that he needs to really improve off the ball and especially that three point shooting and show that, that senior year at Baylor wasn't just an outlier because right now it is kind of looking like that. Cause if he wants to play alongside Fox and Sabonis has to be able to shoot the ball. Well, defenses were not concerned with him shooting the ball. Um, he ended up with 32.8% on his catch and shoot three point attempts this year, which is um, unideal to, to say the least when it comes to that Fox and Sabonis pairing where sure, shooting is so crucial. I think he has a really good job of creating a space for himself on offense um, in the pick and roll, but not efficient enough in creating for his teammates to me where it's like, that's a guy that you want as your starting guard. That's initiating the offense every single time. So I think he's a really good backup point guard, phenomenal defender, obviously probably should start with that, but I feel like everybody knows what Davion does on the defensive end. He's one of the best isolation defenders, guard defenders, weirdly in the league already in my mind um, when it comes to defending opposing guards, but offensively is to me where, I kind of still view him as the ceiling being a backup point guard, which is fine, which is fine for where he was picked. So final question. Uh, It's been 16 years without the playoffs. You've been through several cycles of hope and disappointment. It's early in the process, but you have Sabonis. You hired Mike Brown, got the fourth pick as of June 11th, 2022. Where are you? Where are you emotionally with the Kings? And where's the belief right now in this being the year that breaks the cycle? Emotionally with the Kings. Um, I think you try to remove all emotions possible when you're talking about the Kings. (laughs) Apathy, maybe. Um, Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm excited to watch Fox and Sabonis. Those guys clicked right away when when Sabonis showed up. Um, They only played 15 games together, but Fox theoretically should be a really, really good cutter. And I think we saw a few moments of that. Again, they only played 15 games together, but he's so quick, obviously, but also twitchy that I think he's good at um, 
fakes off the ball and getting nice backdoor cuts and things like that. And just being able to play with such a dynamic pick and roll player, I think will be new for Fox, a guy that he can trust to give the ball in the short roll. And there's a chance that he gets it back because before Rashawn Holmes is a ridiculous pick and roll player, but if he gets the ball at the elbow, he's going to that push shot every single time and there's no really other option. Um, So I'm excited to watch that duo and also whatever ends up being uh, this draft pick. And when it comes to expectations for next year, I do think that they really have to be in the play-in. If I had to guess, I would guess that they make the play-in and then lose the game. Um, But it gets difficult because it's easy to look at the roster and be like, oh, this is a play-in roster. They're talented enough. The West is pretty tough, as I'm sure you guys know. Like The teams that are sitting there from eight to 11 or 12 are all like the Kings might be the worst roster among them. And who knows if like, I mean, what if OKC puts it together with one of their top picks, Portland, what ends up happening with Dame coming back and and what other moves they end up making? Like weirdly, I could see a scenario where the Kings are also 13th team in this year. Um, I don't think I'd bet on that. I'd bet more that they're 10th, but as the roster is talented enough in my mind to flirt with like a 38 win season, but it's difficult when you start comparing it to the rest of the West, because that bottom there is all filled with a lot of talent on those rosters. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Well, Brendan, thank you for answering all our questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head to head with a beat writer. This week, his opponent is Brendan Nunes of Kings Pulse, Kings Beat, Kings Herald, and the Sacramento Bee. Now, uh, Brendan, how this works, I've come up with eight questions about the Kings. Uh, some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. If you get the question right, you'll get two points, at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. And we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. Uh, Before we start, I will note that last week I made a massive mistake, Andrew. I had a question about... You heard about it all week. I did hear about it all week. (laughs) Yes, I had a question about first-year coaches who had won the championship. I had only found two when I Googled and only looked at the first search result. Andrew brought up Steve Kerr. Multiple other people brought up uh, Ty Lue. And they also brought up Nick yeah. Nurse. All of those are correct. Yeah. And so I think the fans actually outscored both of you last week. And so you lost, Andrew. I'm sorry to say. Uh, okay, so, Brendan, <laughs> we're going to start with you. So just give me a number between one and eight. Six. Question number six. According to 538's Raptor metric, there were only two kings who had a positive overall Raptor last season. Name them both. Now, the hint is that these are only players on the roster at the end of the season. So we're not talking about Halliburton, nobody healed. So it's only guys who are on the roster who played for the Kings last year. 
And you'll give me both names. I won't tell you if they're right or wrong. Just give me both of them. Okay, this is me first. Um, yes. We're going to go with Harrison Barnes. And we'll say Trey Lyles. Harrison Barnes and Trey Lyles. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Two Kings who had a positive overall Raptor last season. Oh, my. Rashawn Holmes and okay, Harrison it. Barnes. All right. You guys didn't get any of them. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> the two names, Damanis Sabonis. Okay. Well, did that sound too easy? Is that why you didn't guess that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounded way too easy. <laughs> and then yeah. Terrence Davis. Terrence Davis. Who, Terrence Davis. Who, by the way, let me make sure I didn't include this question. No, I didn't. He if just, you look at like two man buckets, lineups man. for the Kings last season, all of, like the best ones who played more than two hundred minutes all have Terrence Davis in them. Um, okay, score zero to zero. Andrew, <laughs> it is your turn. Number one. Question number one. There are only eleven active players who have as many or more career triple doubles than Demonis Sabonis, and we're going to name them all. Now, as a hint, Sabonis has eighteen career triple doubles, so you're going to give me a name of someone who has had at least eighteen in their career. And they're active players. And then Brendan will give me a name. And we're going to go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So, Andrew, triple-double name. Russell Westbrook. Great guess. That is correct. <laughs> Over to Brendan. I'm going to go with LeBron. That is number two on the list. Back to Andrew. Luca. Luca is number five on the list. Back to Brendan. Giannis. Giannis. Ooh, dicey here, but that is correct. He's down at number nine. Uh, James Harden. James Harden is number four. Back to Brendan. Um, you guys are doing great so far. Draymond. Draymond Green. That is correct. He's number wow. eight. I was confident. Back to Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nikola Jokic. Yes, he's number three overall. Oh. I'm glad you guys got that one. Back to Brendan. We have four names left. So these are all active players who have had at least 18 career triple doubles. Lonzo Ball? Lonzo Ball, that is incorrect. The other names, Rajon Rondo, oh. Ben Simmons, Kyle Lowry, and also with 18 triple doubles, Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Wow. Tied with Demonis Sabonis. Okay, Brendan, you're down, but you have control of the board. Oof. Uh, we'll go with four. Question number four. The Kings made eight straight playoffs under Rick Adelman. Since then, the Kings have had 11 different coaches. Which of those 11 coaches had the best winning percentage during their Kings tenure? This is a sad one, but Luke Walton. <laughs> that is correct. It was Luke Walton <laughs> with 42.2 winning percentage. You know who was very close, oh. though? Jaeger? Oh, uh, Reggie Theus. Reggie okay. Theus was right there. Reggie Theus. Uh, okay, wow. we got a tie game. Andrew, control the board. Number two. Question number two. The last time the Kings made the postseason was the 2006 playoffs, where they lost in six games to the San Antonio Spurs. Which player on the Kings averaged 23 points per game in that first round series best on the team? You got to think oh back. Oh, my gosh. Old school Kings, 2006. What was that, Andrew? Is this Ron Artest? Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, whatever he's called, Panda's friend. <laughs> Ron Artest, he was on the team, but that is incorrect. Brendan, you have a chance to oh, steal. Man. I believe it's Kevin Martin. That is also incorrect. It also wasn't Mike Bibby, who was their leading scorer in the regular season. It was Bonzi Wells. Mm. Bonzi no. Wells blew up in that the is playoffs. A, that was a good one. That was a good one. Okay, Brendan, yes. it is now tied and you have control of the board. Where would you like to go next? Go with eight. Question number eight. Did you know the Sacramento Kings took the fifth most free throws in the league last season? Name the four teams who took more free throws than the Kings last year. And I'll give you one point per correct answer. So there's a possibility you could get four points here. So these are just teams that had attempted more free throws or took more free throws than the Kings last season. Me first, right? The, uh, uh, you're you're going to be all of them, so you could okay. tech, you could possibly get four points here, which would be very exciting. Um, the Sixers, the Sixers is one, so that is one point for you. Utah, 
That is correct as well. They were number one. Philly was number two. Wow. Can you get another one, Brendan? You're now up four to two. There's two others. Um, Milwaukee? That is incorrect. Now, Andrew, you have a shot here. If you just want to throw out some names, you got any ideas? Dallas? No. I would be shocked if you got the names because it is the Knicks and the Rockets. <laughs> the Rockets. The Knicks I kind of get. The Knicks I can get. The Rockets, the Rockets I was surprised. I never got to. Okay. Yeah. Brendan, you wow. are now up 4-2, but Andrew, you have control of the board. Back Number and three. forth, back and forth battle. Andrew, who had the most dunks for the Sacramento Kings last season? Who was the best dunker, Andrew? This has got to be somebody weird, right? I don't know. It could be someone normal. Is there normal players on the Kings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be somebody weird because it's the Kings. That's why. Um, shoot. Who seems like a big dunker to you? Thinking about the Kings roster. Slamming is it Chemezi Metu? <laughs> Andrew, it is Chemezi Metu. Wow. Yes. Wow, yes. great guess. By I'm one a, dunk kinda... over Rashawn Holmes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that was the other one I was considering. Uh, so we're going... Not a lot of dunkers. There's two questions left. We have a tie ball game. Four to four. Brendan, would you like six or seven? Did I... Or wait, five or seven? We'll go with five. Okay. How many players on the Kings had a 30-point game last season? Now, before you answer, you are going to get to choose who answers first. So you can either give me a number, and then Andrew will say higher or lower, or you can make Andrew guess first, and then you can say higher or lower. Now, if you let Andrew guess first, there's a potential that he could get it exactly right, but it's up to you. So these are just players who had at least one 30-point game for the Kings last season. Am I naming players? No, you just give me a number. Okay. So number of players. I guess I'll go first. Okay. Give me a sec. Okay. Let me. And this would this would include players that were traded. It's just yeah. anyone who had a thirty point game on the Kings. We're gonna go with six. Six is the number. Andrew, would you like to go hmm. higher or lower than six? I'll say higher. Higher than six, Andrew. That is incorrect. The right uh, number was five. Sabonis, Fox, oh, Halliburton, wow. Terrence Davis, and Harrison Barnes. That means... Wow. Terrence Brendan, Davis. Yes. <laughs> that means, Brendan, you have six points to Andrew's four points going into the final question. Andrew, you could tie oh, it up here no. on the <laughs> okay. final question. Okay. Davion right. Mitchell made 101 three-pointers in his rookie season. There were only four rookies who made more threes than Mitchell, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, and these two rookies. So these guys were three and four among all rookies for total threes made, and I'll give you one point per correct answer, but you got to get them both to tie up the week, Andrew. Oh, my gosh. Got to think about some sharpshooters. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this. Franz Wagner? Andrew? That is incorrect, which means Brendan wins the week. Six to four. Unless, Brendan, you'd like to take a guess. We could add some points on just for fun. I was going to say Franz. The other one I had was uh, Duarte. Also wrong. The two names, Corey Kispert and Bones Highland. Corey Kispert played enough? Okay. I wasn't going to get there. Congratulations to Brendan for defeating Andrew. Wow. Wow. I'll take it, I guess. Congratulations, yeah. Brendan. <laughs> that was fun, guys. <laughs> uh, Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, go check out Brendan's podcast. He has multiple podcasts that you can go listen to. King's Pulse and the King's Beat podcast. Go check those out. Brendan, thanks so much, man. Of course, guys. Glad to do it. Hopefully, we're talking again when the King's straight up to two. No, no, we will talk. That happens for sure. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks again to Jake Fisher and Brendan Nunez for coming on the podcast. Uh, continue to listen. We will have a, a Daily Ding episode that went up after game four. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. We are going to have coverage throughout the NBA Finals for you. And then upcoming, we have the NBA Draft. We will have a live draft show for you on the athletics youtube page so be sure to tune in to that and look for all the draft coverage coming at you in the coming weeks uh things are not going to stop at all
because then we have Summer League and we're going to have a ton of Summer League content coming at you. We're actually going to be at Summer League, the athletic, the athletic NBA show is. So just so much content coming at you. So be sure to subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash NBA show. You can get it for $1 a week. You can also listen to this podcast without any ads whatsoever, which is the best way to listen to it. Enjoy your weekend and the basketball, and we will talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.